Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Loved Podcast. As I was preparing the podcast for the remainder of this month, the next three weeks, thinking about it, praying about it, and some conversations with Peter, I realized that it's been about a year that I've been doing the podcasts, and I never did any about First Loved Ministries itself or even about me, where some of you may have heard about the ministry, you got connected to the podcast, and as far as you're concerned, First Love Ministries is Mark Fee talking to you for 15, 20 minutes in a podcast. But it's much more than that. And so over these next three weeks, what I want to do is to just share a little bit about myself, a little bit more about my story. Some of the stuff I used to say at the opening when we do the weekends in the opening session, but there's no time for that anymore. So I thought it would be a good thing for us to capture it. Anyway, so this first part I'm entitling Rescued. Why would I entitle it Rescued? Well, I came to know the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home. Some of you might recognize my last name. My father's Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar, a big part of the translation committee of the NIV. So I grew up in a home with a great dad, a mom, and going to church, etc., etc. But it wasn't until seventh grade where I was invited to go on a junior high youth retreat. And I just have fun telling it every time. But the reason I went was simply because it meant missing school on a Friday and the possibility of meeting girls. And I had no interest whatsoever about anything spiritual. I just wanted to be out of school and hang out with people and meet some girls. So I went, but the incredible thing was listening to three guys that sang and shared their testimonies and talked to us. On that final night, I was so moved by what I heard, essentially, I think, the gospel, and just so aware of my need to be forgiven. I wanted God. And I remember standing up that night and just being overwhelmed with His forgiveness and with His love. And I just remember crying and being just undone in such a beautiful way. I know for a lot of us, we don't have that kind of experience. Some grow up in church and your experience with God is gradual, but I hope and pray that all of you at some point have had at least some moment where it became very clear to you that you belong to Him, that He'd forgiven you, that He's come into your life. And most importantly, I really felt His love, where Romans 5.5 5 is such a powerful verse, a verse I believe I could have written, where Paul said, hope doesn't disappoint us because He has poured out His love into our hearts by His Spirit. I experienced that. It was real. I could have wrote that in a letter home, that I have been overwhelmed by this sensation of being loved and his love poured into my heart. I, I remember saying to somebody walking back to the room that I felt like I was walking in a liquid bubble of love. It was amazing. Well, it so impacted me when I got home. The first thing that my folks noticed was that I asked for a Bible and that I wanted to pray, and I wanted to go to youth group, and I wanted to go to church. And I mean, there was some pretty dramatic change in me. And so much so that over the next year in eighth grade, I was talking about Jesus all the time because I was in love with him. I knew he loved me. I loved him. And I wanted people to experience what I'd experienced. And so, so many people signed my yearbook at the end of eighth grade to mark the Jesus freak and because I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. But over the next 18 years, until I was 30, something began to change in my life. And I just want to kind of track that quickly for you. 
I went through some some tough things in in high school and college that were really traumatic and made me struggle in my relationship with God a bit. But I continued to persevere and walk with Him. And along the way, though, He really got a hold of my heart in another time, my senior year in college, where I switched my major from music to Christian education, and I had to do a four-month internship. And while I was doing that internship, I really felt called by the Lord. In fact, it's so—this is a crazy story, too— is that at the end of those four months, it was a large church, about 1,800 people. The senior pastor invited me to come on staff as the college and career pastor, which I thought he was crazy because I was college and career. I was just 22 and just graduating, but he had seen me over those four months, so he invited me to come on staff. But he said, like, Mark, you need to be called. And I go, well, what the heck is that? So the next day, I was praying and asking the Lord, and I, for whatever reason, I turned to say, well, the Lord, of course, right? But for whatever reason, I turned to 2 Timothy 3.16, where it said all Scripture was God-breathed, just to remind myself that maybe God could speak through Scripture. But the amazing thing is that I looked across the page, and 2 Timothy 4.11 said, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in my ministry. Well, I, (laughs) whoa, God, are you telling me you want to get me? because I could be useful to you in your ministry. That was a pretty incredible moment in my life and sharing it with the pastor and saying, is this what this call thing is all about? And uh, anyway, I went on staff. I was on staff for a year, but that year so showed me how much I didn't know, how much more growing I still needed to do. And so I went home and went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I was in it the school for four years because I took it slower. I really wanted to learn and internalize what I was learning in class. And during that time, I met Robin, and we got married, and I graduated in 85. The crazy part, though, is we'd found out about this thing called the Vineyard, and I had just become a part of a church that the guy who pastored that church knew John Wimber and some of the early Vineyard guys. And so we got introduced to the vineyard, and it meant that I would have to just continue to be in that church. I stayed being a full-time carpenter for those next three years. But the summer of 88, I got to become the senior pastor. The guy that was there went off to plant, and I got to inherit the church. So I began pastoring. And at that point, I had just turned 30. And I thought it would be such a great thing to start off talking about the great command, that I knew things were about love, and so I thought we should do this. It was while I was doing that, though, and started doing this series on love, that I was overwhelmed with how much I didn't love well. In particular, it was a couple of passages. One was the Samaritan parable, which is actually Luke's version of the great command where he's asked, what is the great command? And he answers. And then if you remember the story, the expert in the law asks, well, who is my neighbor? So then Jesus tells that story. It was while I was preaching that parable, I was so overwhelmed by the kind of love that that Samaritan displayed and the fact that the priest and the Levite the religious guys, the guys that should have known better, who should have been, if they were experts in the law, they should have been experts in love. And yet they walked right around the guy. And then the Samaritan, the one whom all the people listening to the parable would have thought, this guy probably would have, you know, beaten him up more and taken even whatever was left, you know. And instead, here's the guy that loves like God would love, 
loves like Jesus would love, where he cares for him, he bandages him, he takes care of his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to an inn, he pays for all this and says, whatever other expense, I'll pay it when I come back. I think I was just so amazed that in that context, I realized I was so much like the Levite and the priest that I just didn't see people, how easy it was for me to just walk around. And even if I would maybe reach out, I certainly wouldn't reach out with that level of care, with that level of sacrifice. And I just thought, Lord, wow, I am not loving very well. Well, the other passage that really undid me in the course of that series was in Luke, where Jesus was teaching on loving your enemy. So, of course, he says, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And I thought, you have got to be kidding. When I am hated, cursed, and mistreated, those are not the responses that rise up in my heart. I want to pay back. I want to give back in kind not to do precisely the opposite. I said, Lord, what is up with my heart? I mean, I'm not even close to loving like that. And then the next verse, he says, shortly after that one I just said, he said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And I thought, Lord, I don't even know if I'm much better than sinners because I don't even know how well I love those who love me. Never mind love those who don't. And here you're saying that somehow our love is to exceed the sinner's love. Well, of course, right? You'd expect that. But I was so aware that I did not love like that. Never mind again, even how well I loved those who loved me. I didn't think about them. I didn't think about loving them. I don't know how well I loved them. And I felt like, wow, I am falling so short in this. And then came the final line in the John 13, 35, when he said, and by this, by this kind of love, people will know that you're mine, that you're my disciple. And I just thought, I don't know what they think of me. I don't know what they think, but I don't think they would identify me as there's the guy that loves like Jesus loves. There's the guy that loves like that Samaritan loves. There's the guy who loves his enemies, who is loving those who don't even love him. I mean, these were thoughts and statements that were so overwhelming to my soul. So much so that in all truth, as I was winding up that first year and winding up that series on all of this, I became so distraught, like, Lord, how can I lead a church? Here I am, a young rookie pastor, but how can I lead people in the most important thing if I'm not doing it? If I don't even understand it, I'm not living it. I'm not modeling it. And so I started spending time going down early in the mornings. When I'd arrive at the church, I'd go down to the nursery where no one else would be, no office people, staff people, whatever. I could go down there and be by myself. And I just started going every single morning to cry out to God, you got to fix me. You got to change me. You got to change my heart because if you don't, I don't know if I can do this. And the killer was, was that I started thinking about when I was 13, right? When I was 13, that love was so real, so powerful, so present. And it was just pouring out of me onto everybody in those early years. And yet now here I am 18 years later, and I've been through Christian college, I've been through seminary, and now I'm a young pastor. And 18 years later, instead of loving greater and better and more, 
I'm actually loving less and not loving well. I said, Lord, this is not okay. This is not good. You must help me. So coming out of my background and my tradition, which is actually Assemblies of God and the Vineyard and being in a more Holy Spirit-oriented context, one of the verses that was really important to me was Ezekiel 36, 26, where God promised, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Every morning, I was bringing that verse before the Lord and saying, Father, do this. Give me a new heart. Put your spirit in me in a fresh way. Remove from me my heart of stone. It's not loving And give me a heart of flesh that's living and real and full and alive. And praying that day after day, day after day, day after day. Seriously, I'm looking for some kind of, I don't know, zap experience. Like God's going to go boom, you know, and suddenly I'm just going to have my old heart removed and a new heart put in and this is going to be amazing. And it wasn't happening. Well, one day, in my desperation, I flipped over to 1 John chapter 4 because I knew that was about love. And I started reading at verse 7, Dear brothers, dear children, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And then I continued to read, and I got to 419, where he says, We love because he first loved us. And in that moment, I felt like he spoke into my heart and said, Mark, you've got it wrong. I'm not going to just zap you. The way that I'm going to remove your heart and change your heart and make it a loving heart is that you need to come to me who is love and from whom love comes. Because he just said that in verses 7 and 8. Love one another because love comes from God. It comes from me because, verse 8, I am love. But he said, Mark, you need to come to me first. You love because I first love you. There's not a moment in your life that I am not loving you. It's actually simply crying out to you, Mark, to come and make time to be loved, that you pause to notice me, pause to receive, pause to experience. And as I love you, you will love. Consequently, even the title of our primary materials, First Loved to Love. We have to be loved first. We experience God's love first in order to love, to love Him and to love others. Well, I'm telling you, in that moment, that totally blew my categories because in those 18 years and training I had received and discipling I had received, my understanding was that you came in to read and study the Bible, to pray, you know, lists and concerns, maybe to worship, to repent of sin. And I think subtly the idea was that I came out of that alone time with God and simply tried not to fail, tried not to mess up. Suddenly God's saying, you've got it all wrong. Mark, the secret to loving is that you come to me who is love and let me love you first, and then you will love me and love others. And I'm like, God, really? Can this, can this really be true? I mean, it almost seems selfish to come into your presence to be loved. And yet then discovering through varieties of other people along the way that talked about Mother Teresa, Bernard of Clairvaux, just to mention a couple who talked about the necessity of coming 
and being filled up first with his love in order to go and love others. It was a life-changing paradigm for me and set my life on a whole new direction. And that was 28 years ago. That's how it all began. That's where it started. And I just want to encourage you today that maybe you're aware still that the need to love better, to love like Jesus, and the only way we can do that is we have to come to Him and be loved by Him first to get our heart filled up, to experience His love, to know how to turn around and go give that love away. That's how it began in my own journey. And I just pray for you today that wherever you are, even if you've known all this, you've heard me talk about this before, I just pray for each one who is listening today. This is so crucial to be able to love God and to love our neighbor and especially to love our enemy. We have to experience him love us first. And I pray that you would find that reorientation in your walk with the Lord to discover just how crucial that new focus is for you. So Lord, bless my brothers and sisters who are listening today. Help them hear you say, come and be loved by me first in order to love. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you.